0: Hi, this is Melody Travers coming to you from Crazy Town. While we're in between seasons, we wanted to share some bonus episodes with you. In this one, Rob, Jason, and Asher chat with astrophysicist and author Tom Murphy about the absurdity of the infinite growth paradigm. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want others to get the Crazy Town experience, please hit the share episode button and send it to your community or drop us five stars. Now to the show.
1: So we have this... uh incredibly rare d- dynamic here first of all mm. we've moved from the greenhouse yes into the studio in the house back adjacent. to the library the library that's what we call it feels so right. scholarly up here it does. so that 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 feels a little weird it's like um, old times there's still going to be some weird background noise we're back to normal there's folks. things happening on the farm yes
2: we but, have a far better guest than the tree frog though well that's the
1: thing so the another uh Oddity here is that we actually have someone joining us, mm. Tom Murphy. Tom, welcome. Hi. So I'm just gonna ju- just do a quick introduction. Tom Murphy is a professor of physics at the University of California, San Diego. He's smarter than us. Although you have a PhD, Jason. Mm-hmm. So but not um, in
0: physics. It's it's not a hard science, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, Tom
1: has a PhD from Caltech. Oh, uh, we well, were talking so, earlier so now, about
2: now he's smarter than all three of us put together. That's
1: right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he spent decades studying astrophysics.
2: Mm. Okay, things. now he's smarter than like us doubled all put together. Okay, but just wait, it gets better. <laughs> okay.
1: Right? So you know, I'm, I'm poor Tom. I'm yeah. embarrassing you. <laughs> um,
0: this is horrible. I'm blushing. I'll <laughs> endure some. so.
1: So uh, Tom actually is leading a project right now. I didn't know this until kind of uh, doing a little digging here. Uh, project to test general relativity. I thought that was already established. It's.
3: You can never be too sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Poor Einstein. <laughs> he
1: can't defend himself I mean, here. He's still questioning. he um, just a idiot. big target on his back. That's right. What he <laughs> so uh, I guess what you guys are doing, Tom, is you're bouncing laser pulses off of reflectors left on the moon by Apollo astronauts. Is that right?
3: Yeah, that's correct. Yep. And
1: uh, they thought
0: about it
3: ahead of time, like,
0: let's leave some mag- some
3: reflectors up here? They did. They, well, knew, they actually even knew what kind of test would be possible so that's
2: awesome i'm pretty skeptical now tom because we know that the lunar landing that's all a bunch of bs wasn't that filmed by stanley kubrick i mean we've got we've got documentaries that prove that you know the best thing is
3: they actually took pictures uh. while they were on the moon and they're fantastic they're, <laughs> the quality <laughs> is pretty re- good yeah the quality is amazing um well the really neat thing is that i can say personally from this apparatus that i built you know and with my own hands, that I can tell the shape and size of the reflectors that I'm hitting because I can see how big they are uh, as they wobble this way and that as the moon kind of moves around. And so I can confirm that they are exactly the size that they appear in the pictures. Yes. And they're oriented exactly the right way within a degree of where they're supposed to be oriented. So that's a really amazing thing. Now, I have to say that it's possible... From my own measurement, all I can say is that there are reflectors on the moon. Just, just period. No mm-hmm. denying it. Now, did it could human be aliens hands, who put it there?
1: Yeah. Okay. Right. All
3: kinds of things. Right. Did That's human hands going. place them there? I can't say that from my own measurement. But you know what? The pictures match. It's really <laughs> incredible. Like, how would they have known to make? Those pictures at that time that had exactly unless the right you're dimensions. in on
1: this Tom and you're just right. okay okay right. you got me okay. right Tom, oh I have, I'm very sorry
3: about that Uh,
0: uh <laughs> Rob is not he's not he well, we, he's he's kind of I Rob geez Rob this guy hearing you do hey, look, this... look
1: look we had a we had oh, an geez, episode on
0: conspiracy theories
2: all oh, right the episode on conspiracy.
1: that is a, that is a big one the yeah. whole mo- okay. faking the moon landing that's, I have that's a up more there.
0: serious question so. What are Astros? Because the Houston team is good. What
3: are Astros? <laughs> Astros? I think they're dogs, aren't they? They're uh, like Jetsony dogs. Oh, right. They're, the they're in-
1: cheaters in baseball. They like to hit on I garbage see. cans. Okay. okay. Those are, the, uh, Astros is right. short for hey, astronauts. I okay, know astronaut. that you
2: have not finished introducing Tom because yeah. there's a whole other right. area So of the work. reason Tom,
1: Tom is here is actually because of Tom's work on energy. Um, which I, I want to get into kind of what brought you there, Tom. But for folks who were not, or listeners who were not aware of Tom, he, uh, he's created this pretty amazing blog. It's led to a book that he's uh, recently published, which is available for free. Um, the blog is called Do the Math. I think you started that as part of your... You started I visited it was you. my fault. Yeah, it's your fault. Oh, it yeah. really
3: is. You can you encouraged me to put that stuff out. You yeah. know, I stopped by for a 2-hour conversation with you once uh, 10 years ago. Wow. You said, "You know what? You've these are a lot of good ideas. You should write it up. You should start a blog."
1: And within a month, I'd
3: started that blog.
0: Oh my gosh, connections. Yeah.
1: Wow. It's like my proudest moment. I know. No, but it's wow. um it's a fantastic blog. You just started it up again. I think you had stopped for a while. Um, right, it kind of went dormant. I mean,
3: you know, for one thing, a lot of what the blog did was how much sun can we get, how much wind, how much geothermal, how much waste. That, that stuff doesn't change. Right. And so once you've done the math, once you put it out there, you don't need to come back to it. It's 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 a done deal. That's, so, isn't
0: the name of the blog, Do the
3: Math? It is, Do the Math. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Do the Math. Good name. And then and then, then, Tom, I, then I should make it, Did the Math. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> Math is done. Do math. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're all done here, everybody. <laughs> the math is,
1: it's pretty bleak, folks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways we we'll get into some of the things I think that you you uncovered in the process of doing doing the math, but I also want to let our listeners know that you've you've turned a lot of that work into a textbook, which is really fantastic I gotta say, and it's called Energy and Human Ambitions on a Finite Planet, speaking our language here so i want I wanted to get in as we start the conversation, maybe just you can just share with us a little bit of like what took you from astrophysics to digging into energy issues? Like, what was that? Was there a moment that kind of, you know, hit you over the head or what was that process? Well,
3: there are a lot of connections and I can't really single out any, any one. I will say that when you're doing astrophysics, you kind of are looking at the big picture and you're also looking at an imperfect system that you can't directly experiment with. It's not like a lot of experimental physics where you can go in and tweak your your apparatus and see what you measure. You, you're studying a universe that is doing what it's doing. You don't have any control over it. You just mm-hmm. have to learn from what you see. And you have to do a lot of uh, kind of creative um, blending of a lot of different areas of physics to understand what's happening in an astrophysical system. It's, it's going to require a lot of different physics. And so I think the human endeavor is kind of similar. We don't have any control over it. It's just happening. We can watch it. But just like in astrophysics, uh, it it really pays to step as far back as you can and get the broadest view and also apply kind of the physics reasoning of what can we say for sure about this? You know, let's put a bound on the system and at least constrain what's possible and what's not possible. So the, the kind of mindset does translate. But, you know, I would also say that there's always, I've always had this separate interest in kind of energy, but it started out of a, a sense that I knew that fossil fuels are finite. Um, I imagined that we would transition to some new uh, energy infrastructure going forward. And I was just curious to see if I could peek ahead you yeah, know, get a sneak preview. What's it going to be? Can I figure it out using my own tools and my right. own analysis And, uh, then I got an opportunity. Oh, wow. There's some deer out there. That's really cool. Yeah. there's a family Um, of like
0: three, I think right now walking
3: around. Nice. So, uh, you know, I, I had this opportunity when I just got to UCSD one of my, my first year and I had a teaching assignment to do energy in the environment. And I was like, okay, you know, let's dig in. Let's, let's learn this stuff. Let's map out where we're going. And, and what happened is i came out just a little bit confused it's not an easy story it's it's uh it's not a one and done kind of situation and the more i looked into it the, the complexity became more apparent and and then realized that as much as anything this is a psychological problem this is mm-hmm. a this is a human personality problem it's it's uh, you know the the physics does put real hard limits on what we can expect to do. And that's kinda how I started. But, you know, what I've what I've come to realize is that it's it's not really the the physics is not going to be the limitation so much as our interpretation of that physics and recognizing the limits and doing something now to at least operate in a physically viable way.
1: It has to do with our expectations, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you said, so you said you knew that that fossil fuels were finite. That's just so how obvious, did, right? I mean, come it, on.
3: <laughs> it, <laughs> That's the astrophysicist. We say that, but... But, but you know, everything is finite, right? And, and the astrophysicists, I mean, knew just how insignificant Earth is and mm-hmm. how thin. I did a calculation recently that if you took all the life on this planet and condensed it into a single layer that surrounded the planet, it's four millimeters thick. Hmm. So... It's a really thin and precious wow. uh, commodity in this universe and you know that is on an already small speck of dust in the universe right. so um, that w- we fill our heads with um, you know human activities and if you pick up a magazine, pick up a random magazine I challenge you to find a page that doesn't have a picture of a person or the discussion isn't about something people are doing. It's really rare. Uh, Those magazines exist. But, you know, the magazine I subscribed to when I was a high school student, Sky and Telescope magazine,
0: Mm
3: -hmm. I was reading about supernovas and galaxies 65 million years away. And I thought, you know, that's the piece of news that would be shared by any other culture anywhere else in this galaxy. That's the only news item that we're going to have in common is the (laughs) supernova that's in this uh, galaxy. They're not not
2: tracking us self-centered primates. uh, They are not.
3: What the
1: Kardashians are doing. They don't give a rat's
3: ass. Yeah. Um, But, you know, we're so self-centered and so human-centric. Yeah. And that's part of what I wanted to bring to this is just, uh, you know, can we step back from our own myopic human-centered view and and, uh, evaluate what the 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 sort of impartial and indifferent physics in nature have to say about this.
1: Mm -hmm. So, so you were, you were given this task of, of putting together this course, right. When you, Mm -hmm. when you first started and that helped set you on this journey of trying to figure out how to communicate this. And then it sounds like you said, you also had this, your own curiosity about, well, what's, what are the possibilities? And you want to do the math on that. What was the reaction of students? So are you, or were the students that you've been teaching, are they signing up for this because they care about energy issues or they assigned it?
3: Yeah. So it's a mix. I mean, this is one of these uh, classes that fulfills a requirement. They, you know, f- mm-hmm. to for their distributions, they have to have a certain number of say science classes. And so this fulfills one of those requirements and being about, you know, the title is energy in the environment. And I think especially even then, when that was 2004, you had a lot of people concerned about climate change and, mm-hmm. um, and environmental issues. But I tried to bring a much broader perspective that we're all aware of climate change at this point and its perils. But it's just kind of like the, the fever in a much more right. severe systematic problem it's very obvious it's you can touch your forehead and feel it but that doesn't tell you what's really happening to cause it all Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i I try to expand their their horizons to see a bigger picture and i would say that you know truthfully they weren't sure what to think you know here's this person telling me something that nobody else has ever told me before right how how can i trust this And, and my approach to that was don't trust me. Don't listen to me because I'm your professor and I'm an authority. That's not how it works in physics. Um, I try to give them tools so that they could do do the math themselves. Right. Yeah, that's the, that.
0: the expression is for every for every PhD, there's an equal and opposite PhD, and so it becomes <laughs> a problem. We have these dueling, uh, you know, uh, f- supposed experts, and so that's. I'm also curious about that, right? I think that's great. Your approach is you give them the tools to think critically for themselves but most people don't take the time to do that right and so they end up this, they end up choosing which which expert they're going to just trust and right. that i think that's that's a that's a dilemma i think we're in and what are your thoughts well, about that
2: you could get a phd in finance right yes, and uh, exponential right. growth is your friend there right? <laughs> right. that's <laughs> right. probably different from what you you're you're teaching tom yeah
3: and i would say that so many disciplines are in in a lot of ways backwards looking and and looking at each other for answers. And physics just doesn't work like that. Physics mm-hmm. looks to the actual universe, the actual, you know, nature as it performs experiments for you. And so you're just trying to to describe and, and find some truth, but you're not creating that truth. You're just discovering it. And so I think that mindset is a lot different. So physics rests a lot less on, say, authority. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of disciplines are often quoting the, the heavy hitters in that field. Well, this person said so, right. such and such. And physicists want nothing to do with that kind of uh, scholarly approach. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's what nature says, damn it, and that's the answer. And you can all test this yourself in the laboratory. So it's very similar, just let's provide the tools to ask the questions and the answers emerge and you don't have to take anybody's word for it.
0: I think though, what's interesting is when you look at some of the scenarios that, that some people have, or, you know, related to energy in our future, there, there are a lot of scenarios where people are supposedly doing the math saying, right. Uh, yeah, we can build all this. Jacobson is
1: doing math. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is a Stanford professor doing the math. Yeah. And, and uh, so I w- I'm always curious is like, you know, you read those papers, which I have read it, one of the Jacobson papers. I can't imagine how hard it would be for anybody to really understand how they got to where they got to. They're so complex and there are so many embedded assumptions. Like what does it take? In other words, for one of your, <clears throat> one of your students to know, okay, should I trust Professor Murphy on this or Mark Jacobson? And they both did math.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question, and I don't—I don't think there's a good answer. Um, at some level, I—I I try to be just completely honest with with my students and say, "Here's what I've found when I've done this. Um, here are my assumptions. I lay it all out so that they can, if they see a place where they think I went off the 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 trail, they they can at least appreciate that." So, you're right that. It's easy to basically bamboozle people, right? If if you've got the the credentials and you're putting sophisticated things out there, what I try to do is make it so simple that you slap your forehead and right. you're like, "How could that possibly be wrong?"
0: Yes, uh, and that's why I think that's why I think your blog is so interesting. Or the the stuff I've read on it, where you're like, "Oh my gosh," you know. Well, it's so simple.
2: There's a specific <laughs> example that I want to bring up from your blog. It's my it's it's literally. I think my favorite blog article of all time of all blogs. Whoa! And it's, Goodness, uh, you must have read three. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no. This was. Uh, it's actually been really influential on me. I teach it a lot when I'm giving presentations, and the. I don't know if you'll remember this one. It's galactic scale
3: energy. Oh yeah, that's that, that was the, one. the first one. Yeah. What? So that was your well, first, that was blog first. That was my first blog oh. post. Well, my first blog post got you know, 150,000 views in the first couple of weeks that that blog started out really strong yeah. and it's because of what was at the time, the energy bulletin. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so I had basically a built in audience from day
1: one, but you oh, also had done all of these. Le- I mean, these, this was all based on lessons, lesson plans that you put together and e- exercises you were having. Your yeah, more taking. or less.
3: Actually, a lot of the stuff I hadn't really at that stage presented those kinds of thoughts in the class. So hmm. Uh, that's why, and, and partly that's because I was somewhat constrained by, I would pick a textbook and this is the textbook we're going through and I would embellish it with some of my own things and PowerPoint slides. That's why I wrote this textbook is we need a textbook that starts out with this, you know, heavy hitting, here's what physics says we can't do. So wake up people. And now what, now Now what happens? I love the layout of
2: that, that that essay what you did is you said okay let's let's pretend <laughs> that we're actually making progress on renewable energy transition so there's an all out uh, we're going to we're going to put solar panels wherever we can how much of that can we do if we're continuing to grow our energy supply you know if if humans keep acting this way like we're going to increase our energy supply whatever it was 2 or 3% a year how much of that can we do and you, you you know maybe maybe you can describe your conclusions from from an attempt to to build out
3: solar energy at a at an yeah. exponential rate. Sure well the conclusion is just absurd and I will say that a lot of people actually misinterpreted that whole essay. Hmm. As a prediction of where we were going. And oh, I'm, really? And I'm just, no, no, this is exactly you serious? the opposite. I'm saying what we're The we whole can't point do. is we can't do that. Exactly. And and oh, they were fun. pointing out, well, I don't think that's going to happen. That's kind of absurd. Exactly. <laughs> you can't do this. So, um, oh, no. Yeah, I mean, the conclusion is that the, the abbreviated version is that within 2,500 years at a 2.3% interest or a growth rate, and I picked that because. It has the convenience that it's a factor of ten every century, so it makes the math super easy, and I can do it in my head. And it's a slightly conservative, yeah, two to three percent of it's close to historical, right? Right. Right. It's close to historical, but maybe you know I I dial it down just a little bit um, so that nobody can accuse me of exaggerating. See, that's a trick that I often try to do. Is I pick super conservative. Uh, values that are unassailable and not even you know matching reality because they're dialed back a little bit. And if you still get impossible results, then you're done. And yeah, yeah. and so that's that's a I think a, a thing I often fall back on. So within 2,500 years, we would be using all the stars, the output from all the stars in the entire Milky Way galaxy. <laughs> That's 100 billion stars. Okay, 100 billion stars. You can't count to 100 billion in your lifetime. Okay,
0: let me back off that. So in 2,500 years, at 2.3% growth, human civilization would be using all the output of all the stars in the Milky Way. Yes. Okay, but there are more galaxies, Tom.
3: Right, yeah. exactly. And so this is where the math is really cool because... Hundred billion galaxies—that's yes. just a coincidence. That's plenty,
0: of, plenty of, plenty of time.
3: Yeah, yeah. and so, but, but I, that's just I, I just eleven centuries. More. <laughs> eleven
0: centuries. Yeah. Oh,
3: god. Uh, you add eleven centuries by adding
1: all the galaxies.
0: Oh, I thought can we I had just more time this than, than, than that. Because Billy 1000000000 Simon said we had trillions of years.
1: Going back in, back in time, twenty five hundred okay. years. Yes. Yeah. Can, on some level, can feel like a long time. That's nothing. But in terms of like, yeah. you know, since you we've been it. around Homo sapiens, yeah, that's it's like a blink of an eye. Yeah. Right? That's right. I know. It's, it's, it's just recent history. I mean, it's,
3: it, yeah. it is literally recent history. The,
1: to- in that exercise that you did in that post, which I, I agree with Rob, is, uh, I've shared that with a lot of people. And in fact, I've had people who, I, I think you blew their minds. And the one that most people have cited to me was around waste heat.
0: Yes. like heat that number. The, the inefficiency. So let me see if I remember this. Second law of thermodynamics, you know, you do work, but there's always going to be waste heat, entropy.
1: And it doesn't matter what form of energy we're talking about. It doesn't
0: matter. And, all we say if, right. and, and, and so you could say you can't have a 100% efficient engine motor. Anything that you're going to do kinetically or electrically, whatever, is going to have waste heat.
1: But I want to just stop okay. for one second on this because yeah. a lot of what you hear from renewable energy proponents – yeah is that it's so much more efficient. There isn't waste as right. a result of, of doing electricity, right? Like
0: a really good AC electric alternating current electric motor is about 90% efficient,
3: I think. But even then, but where does that where does it 90% go? It goes into heat eventually. What okay. does that motor do? It does work, which causes heat. It does heat. work, that causes heat. It and so, all ends up as heat. So 100% it's not, of it ends uh, up as uh,
0: heat. Oh, right, 100%. Yeah,
3: it doesn't matter what the efficiency is. It's you're all doing, heat.
0: Because you're doing kinetic work, let's say, the electric motor is moving a vehicle. Well, that's right. bombarding molecules
3: in the air exactly. and that's rubbing on the road. Exactly. You got tire oh. friction, you got, you know, you're stirring the air, it's everything. It's and not so
0: just the waste heat at 10%. The, it,
3: that's the stuff that immediately is heat okay. like right off right. the bat. Yeah. But at all ends up as heat. The only exception is if you're deliberately beaming energy into space in a non thermal way. So, lasers, which I do. Right. Uh, you know, so, <laughs> thank God you're not contributing. Yeah. You're, you're, right. you're actually taking energy I'm and saving exporting us. it from the Earth. Right. Oh, so, do
0: we need to have a whole bunch of lasers? Yeah. Like how many lasers Solution do we need to, to compensate? That? <laughs> Build like. trillions of lasers.
2: Trillions. He's just said we can't count to the billions. Now now you're going for trillions. Okay, but so
0: but let's get back to the numbers because this this was I forgot about the about the Milky Way. I remember the I remember the waste heat one to some extent. Mm-hmm. Where it, it's only in this order of hundreds of years, it seems like, where yeah. you start boiling all the earth water. In four hundred
3: years you're boiling all of the earth's water. Within a thousand years you're at this the temperature of the sun <laughs> on the surface of the earth. Yeah.
1: But so I've had people like uh, we had somebody who is somebody who's been working in economics and and kind of steady state economic stuff. There are a lot of people out there who are really concerned about growth they're concerned about the energy transition and want to believe that renewables are gonna kind of help us solve this problem and when they realize that even if we even if we got all the policy in place, we yeah. could do this, there weren't limitations. Around, I mean, because you, you also have done stuff around like just surface area needed, sure. You know I mean, to put out enough solar panels, for example. But right. put aside all those considerations and concerns, we still have this limit. You know, here we are worrying about, with good reasons, worrying about, you know, one degree Celsius rise that we've had so far, you know, since right. pre industrial era. Right. You know, uh, you're talking about reaching the boiling temperature of water. Right.
3: If you continue doing the growth thing, (laughs) which
1: basically all this says is you're not going
3: to do that. Right. Right. And that's a really valuable piece of information, (laughs) you know, because that's our whole model. And it's good to know our model is bad. Our model is not going to work. And shouldn't we be thinking about a different one?
0: And what, here's a quiz. If it takes 400 years to get to the boiling temperature of water, and how many years is it to get to half the boiling temperature of water? Oh, like, like three hundred
2: ninety-nine or something. And, and <laughs> I don't ninety-nine. Know. I'm just pretending. <laughs> it's a You're doing pond, this exponential uh, exercise. Well, that, yeah. So it always takes a physicist, <laughs> yeah. right, to to uh, sort of come in where the economists think we're going to have continuous exponential growth. Uh, it's it's Albert Bartlett, uh, a physicist who's no longer with us. Who right? is, yeah. His quote was, the greatest shortcoming of the human race is our inability to understand the exponential function. I, 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 I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that leaves no hope for the rest of <laughs> us then.
0: <laughs> it's in. A, it's un. I guess it's unintuitive. I. I think maybe for understanding, I'm mean, thinking about human psychology and how the brain evolved. The brain works with all these sort of embedded inference systems that we that are product of evolution. And so much of our understanding, like intuitive physics, you know, toddlers figure out basic physics pretty early, actually, by manipulating the world and watching things, and they learn it fast, just like they learn language fast. Like you don't stand. You don't formally teach anyone language. I think there's a lot of the world. There's a lot of physics that is never formally taught, but you you start to understand. And therefore, like you can have someone who's just dumb as bones, but they can they can they can pitch, they can hit the ball, they can run, they can catch things. They right. Can
3: if you ask them what's going to happen when I drop this ball, they're not going to get the answer. Rock. Right. right. They'll know exactly. Right. And yeah. They could
0: they could they could throw a ball with perfect accuracy. And they they can't tell you why, but there's an intuitive physics.
3: Yeah, we all live in the same world that has the same rules. Yeah. Yeah. And I think
0: the problem with exponential function is that it sort of doesn't I don't think it, I don't think we have a module in our brain that allows us to intuitively understand it is the problem.
3: Yeah, well, and even worse some of our our physiology is is logarithmic in nature our our vision for instance so we take things that are kind of exponential and we flatten them uh in oh, our expand. perception. What
0: does that mean? How does that
3: Well, work? it sort of means that that you can double the brightness and double the brightness uh, or, or even right. music and musical keys yeah. are, are factors on each other. Yeah. And so we have all these logarithmic things that sort of take big dynamic range and compress it into something that we can Like
0: our brain comprehend. just figured out how to take the rate. So I guess this is a problem in photography, right? They had to figure out the fact that you go from inside a room like we're in now to outside – and it's like a trillion times more bright or something like that. It's just <laughs> absurd, right? But we don't perceive it that way is what you're saying. Yeah. We've, we've done a logarithmic of the actual physical reality yeah. to, to get into a range that's, that's appropriate for our senses. Right. And, and the brain does a lot of that, as well as our pupils, I guess.
1: I think the bigger problem, you you, you talked about this earlier, Tom, that what this comes down to is psychology, right? And, right. and so I, I think we don't understand the exponential function Because it's kind of like an unnatural Mm -hmm. uh, part of reality for us, except we build all of our systems to be dependent upon it. And so if you talk to somebody like a little kid or anybody and you say, can you keep growing forever? No, of course you can't grow forever because we see things that don't grow forever. Our bodies stop growing, all that. And I think that people don't recognize that we've actually built economic systems and all these other systems based upon an expectation that that actually does happen and can continue to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and people don't even understand that. They don't know that our economic system is absolutely dependent upon exponential growth. You know, so the, this, even this exercise of saying, let's just continue to grow energy demand at this per- percent every year. I think a lot of people don't even understand why that's a question. Why would we even ask that question? Mm-hmm. Why would we test that assumption? Because that's what we've been doing. It's the foundation right. of our modern society. Right. It
2: it also sounds small. Two point three percent growth. You know. Yeah. Who cares? But like you said, that's a
1: that's a doubling time.
2: What every? every that's a per year. It's doubling. That's every thirty years. Yeah. Right? yeah.
0: Divide by the seventy.
1: So yeah. you you actually wrote something recently. I think. Um, well, you, you proposed propose this question. This gets, I think, back to the psychology piece, which is, I think, you, you called it to what end, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so maybe you could talk a little bit about that. You know, and and I'm I'm curious because you you're a physicist and you started out on this this path with regard to energy, using sort of that mindset, right? right. Doing the math and and I think starting to talk to people who also are trained. As you said, physicists are trained to try to understand reality, right? Um, so maybe not create I, it, but yeah, right. discover it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would like to think that there's an openness there, or maybe more of an openness with those students. Let's say than maybe the general public. It's not kind of wired that way or trained that way. Um, but you've immediately, I think, run up to the reality of. Of human systems and our expectations and the psychology of all that stuff, so how, how have you grappled with that and and maybe just talk about how that relates to this sort of question of like what it, to what end to what, what what is our purpose here?
3: yeah, I, I think those are really deep questions and and I have started to think in very long timescales and part of that is governed by asking myself the question, is humanity is human civilization in its infancy? Or is it nearer the end than its beginning? And so most people would recoil and think, oh, of course, we want to be in our infancy. We want to you know, have a really long, uh, long run. And if you want that to be true, you have to think about 10,000-year timescales because civilization is 10,000 years old. So we'd have to go for many tens of thousands of years in order to, for us to truly be in our infancy right now. And so that, for me, starts to define what does success look like versus what does failure look like? So success would be a continuous run of our civilization without some sort of post-apocalyptic reset but a continuous run that lasts for tens of thousands of years. So that's if that's success then I start to think what can we be what activities that we do today could be part of that 10,000-year future. And mm-hmm. most of the things we do today absolutely cannot on, be a no. part of that future. So every almost everything I look at is, right. is yeah. nope. That's not going to that. We can't do that anymore. Welcome to Crazy Town. That's, right. like, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. the
0: feeling we are walking
3: around yeah. going. None of this is going to work. Right. It's it, a horrible. Feeling. It's really hard to and, walk around cities. Anymore. I know. I know. <laughs> and so that's where I come up with you know to what end? Right. Why are we doing the things that we are doing if it's only if it's not contributing to our ultimate success? then it is contributing to our ultimate failure. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Or at best, it's maybe neutral. But in most cases, it really is contributing to our ultimate future by draining resources and spending our one-time inheritance on this planet. So, uh, And it's it's robbing from the future. Uh, That's, by the way, not an accident because economics builds in this discount rate Mm -hmm. that deliberately and explicitly devalues the future. So we are set up to have a worthless future because we've baked it right into the books that yeah. we're going to have a worthless future. It's all about now and it's how fast can you spend this inheritance? That's what you're rewarded for. You're rewarded. The people who can, can spend those resources more more quickly are getting the the, the big bucks. So um, that's just so perverted, so backwards, it's so obviously backwards. And I do think, to what end? Why are we doing the things we're doing? When I look around my department and I look at the different professors in physics who have similar training to myself and can you know they can step back and look at the big picture they're not really doing it um I don't know why but it's it's not uh universal you know the the kind of approach I've taken so the kind of research that they're doing how is it contributing to our ultimate long-term success and in the best of cases it's just not clear but in a lot of cases, it's clear why it's actually contributing to to our failure. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of heartbreaking to see.
2: I'm glad that you brought up this kind of characteristic you're sharing about. Colleagues in your department, I I feel like you uh, you have all this. uh, Obviously, you're comfortable with technology, right? I mean, you've got uh, laser beams firing off uh, reflectors on the moon with whatever sub one millimeter accuracy, right? Yeah,
3: I'm a cutting edge luddite. Is really
2: what it comes down to. Well, so I mean, I I feel like, uh, and you're also a really good communicator. So I'm just curious when you try to engage your colleagues uh, in in what. I think everyone sitting here in this recording studio would say that this, these are the most important questions and ideas of our time. We're at the, you know, you could say we're at the crossroads. We really should have been at them decades ago, but we're we're really sitting there in this moment where humanity has to change what it's doing, or we're going to go down that collapse path. So, when you bring up these topics with your colleagues, what what kind of reaction are you are you getting?
3: Well, I guess I would say 5% of them are immediately on board. They get it. They can see this too. And maybe another, I don't know, I'm making up the numbers, but maybe 20% would listen attentively and, and think, wow, those are some really good points. But then they're going to get back to... Um, You know, I need to write this proposal to do this (laughs) this thing to keep my graduate students funded, to keep my postdocs. And, you know, it's... Yeah, the pull the present. Yeah. Yeah. They're in the game. They're playing the game. And there's a survival aspect to that. Um, And also, you know, humans, no matter kind of what your field or preparation, tend to look to others to see what the story is. And (laughs) I, for some reason, am not cursed with that so much so that I, I tend to... Ask the question, what can I see with my own eyes? What can I do myself? You know, what can I figure out on my own? And I don't look to others. I don't look to experts. I just look to the math. I look to the, to the obvious things, you know, what are the obvious things that I can see and talk about? So, um, you know, if I talk about this to my colleagues, they're probably going to recognize that I'm a pretty... Uh, you know, isolated voice, and that already to them is sort of an indication that maybe this is not something I need to even worry about or pay attention to. Because <laughs> yeah. all the economists are saying that you know we're doing—it's
0: doing called the, right the bandwagon thing. effect. That was oh, one sure. of the earliest uh, cognitive biases we talked about maybe in our season. Yeah,
3: and, and it's just how people work, whether yeah. they're physicists or not. They're still people. Yep.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, and we've talked about this uh, on on the podcast that. Not only do we discount the future in terms of, like, our economic system, we do that as human beings because we, you know, evolved to be very focused on the present from a survival standpoint.
3: And all animals, I would say, are basically the same way. We're not really exceptional in that regard. But what's different about us as humans is we have the intelligence to have acquired the power to change our world and our environment radically. Yeah. And we are having impacts on countless other species and driving them to extinction, which other species don't do. Right? I mean, other animals, the the you know the squirrel that's really only concerned about their own stash of nuts and not really concerned about the the bigger picture. That's fine because they, by gathering their nuts, aren't going to make scores of other species go extinct because they're part of an ecological system that's kind of been tuned and evolved, co-evolved. We were also co-evolved, but in a primitive circumstance with relation to other uh, species on this planet. And then we transcended that. And we mm-hmm. are very proud that we transcended that. But beware, you know, there should be a, a caution label that <laughs> once you've gone off this path, yeah, you're no longer protected by the evolutionary kind of uh, compact that right. or, or the contract that keeps things, in check, yeah. it keeps things in check. And so we are the first species really to have this completely outsized power And, but, but we haven't, why would evolution have skipped steps to make us wise enough not to do the things that we can do? And that's really kind of the problem is that,
1: you know. We're clever, we're not wise.
3: We're clever, we're not wise. Mm -hmm. And, and evolution, of course, is going to work like this until the first species is clever enough to, to disrupt things. But why would it suddenly just make a species wise wise enough?
0: Yeah. uh, You know, I think human cultures and civilizations, in a sense, have. Over time, have developed institutions that are supposed to be the checks on this. Like, mm-hmm. you can you can read the reasoning behind having governance structures, and you know maybe churches and other organizations. And a lot of it is about tamping down the individual and and helping society coordinate and also look out for the long term. Because of course, it, it, without some collective agreement and and institutions. Um, you can't really do that you can't build that you can't build civilization civilization has to be a collective process and it has to think long term by making investments in things that outlive individuals and so it's 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 strange is that in the sense that there's this paradox in that we we both have these institutions that should be doing this but at the same time many of them are co-opted and aren't really doing their job anymore and i i wonder how much of that was because we blasted through so many limits in the past when we got fossil fuels that we started poo-pooing sort of these these older ways and these older like ideas and institutions. I mean, they weren't always perfect either. I think either, we did.
1: But- I think we did that before fossil fuels. Uh-huh. You know the. I don't know what it is around the mindset of colonization, but that that existed before. Yes, it did. You know, and we figured out ways of basically stealing. You know. From From other lands and other peoples. Yeah. I know. mean,
0: there have been cases people point to, like, there was a certain period in Japan where they were quite insular, but they were also, at the same time, you know, very careful planting forests and... And yeah, they were sort of, draconian. If you cut down draconian. a tree, you, <laughs> yeah. you'd, you'd get your head cut off. Right, right. Yeah. You know, and there's islands. That's
1: what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs>
0: right? And there's island states that apparently like knew their limits really well. and But they yeah, practice, Tychopeia, like, was, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. They practice, uh, you know, things that we would find important nowadays. But what else are you going to do? Right. So.
1: Yeah. I, just getting back to the whole success and failure yeah. thing. Even that to me is. It's a worthwhile question, but it's still very anthropocentric. Admittedly, right. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, and, and it makes sense that we're, we're concerned about ourselves and our own. First of all, we're concerned about our immediate selves. Then, then you, you stretch that out to our extended family. Maybe that's future generations. Maybe then you, you look at like a tribe or whatever, and you have these concentric circles out. So it makes sense that the further out you go, you might you might think about humanity before mm-hmm. you start thinking about other species. But but what, one of the things I love about... I'm not a, a religious person, but I've always found solace in cosmology mm. because it puts it all into perspective for me. You know? Right.
3: It's comfortingly indifferent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. And, you know, I think for myself... Um, my my lamentation is that we could be that species that just ruins it for everybody. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't want to be that guy. Uh-huh. And so yeah. I do care about how we handle ourselves and this planet. And so it is human-centric, but that's because we do have this incredible power over nature at this stage. Yeah, uh, Not enough to completely have our way because we still have to obey physics. And in the end, I've come to realize that Uh, or at least my own perspective is that the ecosystems and the evolutionary process have created something rather amazing. I mean, in the universe, we don't know that something else like this exists. I mean, almost certainly it does. The numbers are just, you know, overwhelming. But it's so rare and at least spatially, uh, you know, isolated that we have to celebrate what it is we have here on this planet. And this is just amazing. Every species is amazing. Yeah. And so I don't want to be the, the ones to, to just completely uh, ruin that. Now, we're not going to completely ruin it. I mean, worst case, we sort of go down in flames and we take 30% of the species with us. But, you know, there will be a recovery and then, you know, whatever. So the universe will be fine. But I'd rather be here to enjoy it. I'd rather humanity be here as a partnership with that nature. And so I've started thinking that, you know, that my motto is that we need to treat nature at least as well as we treat ourselves and become a subordinate partner and uh, not a dominant partner uh, or uh, I I don't, we're not even a dominant partner right now. We don't, we have, we're removing the word partner. So we need to become partners and, and at that subordinate. And I think, you know, getting uh, to, to the point that you were making uh, before is that we have the capability through institutions, for instance, to overcome some of these, you know, very selfish, uh, uh, modes. And it's why we're all here in this room, right? We're not just throwing up our hands and saying, there's no hope. Let's just go die in the way we best see fit. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it, it's that we do think that there could be some kind of software layer on top of the evolutionary hardware mm-hmm. that lets us, uh, you know, um, do something better and transcend this sort of more petty level
0: yeah yeah
2: on that thread of doing something better i, I have a question i want to ask you but first i got to give you a uh, all of you you uh colleagues here a trivia note you, you mentioned tom uh the universe, I think you said, is comfortably indifferent. And Pink Floyd was really close to naming their <laughs> song that, but then really? they, they switched to comfortably numb at right. the last second. Is that and true? I, no, no, of course <laughs> that's <laughs> not true. Uh, just reminded me yeah. of. Uh, so
0: that's of song that's that song is about heroin. So is that what you're recommending? No, no,
2: because okay. that would be go and die in yeah. the way you see fit. Okay. Um, okay. What I was interested in is. Um, you know, you work with students a lot and you're raising really tough existential questions. What what kind of thoughts do you have if a student comes up to you and says, "Well, what the hell do I do now?" You know, what uh what kind of advice could you give young people who are, you know, maybe on their way to a degree or maybe have just finished a degree and they're they're off into uh Trying to make things go for them as an adult.
3: Yeah, I think that's that's really relevant. And the first thing I'll say is that I've noticed a big change in students over the last 10 years. Oh, so really? that the students now, I don't have to make the case to them that growth is not our friend. Huh. They mm-hmm. get that. Hmm. They know this already. That's, that's pretty amazing to me. Um, all the same, as I'm going through the material in and, and my course uh, following the, the textbook outline, Around the time we get to fossil fuels, they are on the edge of their seats. Uh, around the time we finish that chapter, they want to know the answer. They're desperate to know, how is this going to work out? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they've... They they know that there are problems. They know growth is a problem. They know climate change is a problem. But they, like many people, just assume that we'll have technological fixes and right. we'll, we'll get through this. And so they're desperate at this point to realize... To, once they've realized that it's a dead end road that we're on right now they're looking for the way out and so
1: and then you take away the renewable and road then i from take <laughs> away the
3: reno- right i'm really mean <laughs> you take um, away the solar roadways <laughs> yeah. yeah but you know in the end i think the message that i try to deliver and if i talk to them individually if they come up to me um, and wonder what they can do and how they should plot their their path i try to tell them that i don't know for sure i'm not a predictor. I'm not a Nostradamus. I don't have a crystal ball. Here are the things that I'm concerned about and here are the ways I'm worried things could go. And if you think that there's a credible chance that that's unfortunately correct, then make your life choices such that you'll be fine in either scenario. So whether we swim along like we are now, or we run into some serious rapids, so the way to think about that is what will humans value always? What is going to always be important? What do we always need to be able to do Mm -hmm. and think about ways that you can plug in and be valuable no matter what happens. And Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily, you know, manicuring uh, fingernails, right? It's not, that's not likely to be a priority if things go badly. And so maybe don't pick something that only makes sense in the world that we know.
0: Well, oh, this makes me a little worried about one of our sponsors in se- season one, Phenicon. <laughs> those are the financial advisors for financial advisors.
1: Yeah. I, true, I oh mean, I'm gosh. worried about those guys now. <laughs> well, they, they went bust. Oh. So they're oh, not sponsoring okay, us it. anymore. You don't yeah. need to worry about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I sorry, I got to change the topic for a second because I just want to I, I, – I want to know what you think about Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and all these guys. Don't say that name in my presence. <laughs> because it, what's fascinating to me about, again, back to psychology, right? You've got these guys, both of them, both of those two men have talked about limits to, to human activity, to what we're doing, the the path that we're on. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. Elon Musk has talked about how we may be in this very narrow window in in human civilization where we have the capacity to actually leave this planet, so we need to do it now, right? Mm-hmm. And Bezos,
3: I say, go ahead.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and Bezos is you know one of the most amazing things I've ever seen was was uh, his launch presentation for his company, talking about all these energy limits, and then the saying well, we, we can't leave, we can't live with rationing yeah so we need to go colonize space and have fi- you know five trillion people you know rotating around the earth are they gonna mind the moon. moon for
0: that was that the idea yeah okay yeah. So, that, so so try to make sure you keep your little reflectors in place so they don't go after i'll just spot. put a
1: little fence around it there you go
2: okay. <laughs> that'll work you can buy that from amazon put <laughs> yeah. it on the next tesla that's going to be launched into space yeah. and oh, no. install so it.
1: It, but what i mean is you have these people who are educated they're bright they're successful they actually see that there's a problem with the course that we're on. Their conclusion is to get the fuck off of this planet or whatever, you know, it is. What, what do you, and, 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 in terms of the people that you interact with and, in, in your astrophysicist friends, I mean, yeah, what do
0: the astros think?
1: <laughs> yeah. the Astros, the
3: dogs. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, it's a great question. And, I, I can totally understand why they would come to that conclusion because we are steeped in a culture that's that's embedded in, in space stories, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. you, Star Trek messed us up our head. Oh yeah, and and they're very compelling stories. Yeah, uh, it, it's I mean, look co- at the, look at
0: the clothing even. I,
3: I still haven't <laughs> been able to buy a laser
2: sword. You know how easy you could do some
0: landscaping work oh, with a I lightsaber. Yeah, really or I mean, weeding, just sort of. Ju- 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 ju.
3: Yeah, the problem with the lightsaber is you can't convince the light to stop at the end of the sword. And so it's like an infinite saber and you're going to
1: cut everything.
2: Yeah, I don't know Damn it, Tom. <laughs> you just ruined that for me. Now what am I the supposed to do? The entire
1: Star Wars <laughs> series is ruined. Right.
2: Don't, can't the midi chlorians do something to stop the extension of the – oh, whatever. All right. Back to reality.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, I can totally understand most people I, – I haven't done this survey, but I would be fascinated to understand what fraction of people in America today, for instance – Uh, think that we're going to be in a a complete space environment in 500 years. And I'll bet it's a majority. Mm -hmm. Um, Just assume that that's going to be true. And the fact that we've seen it with our own eyes in a very convincing special effects way, it's hard to shake that. It's really part of the psychology. And then if you add to that the sense that somebody like Musk or Bezos, they want to be... You know, but basically, um, what, what's the word? Um, immortal. Yeah. Mm. That's yeah. The word. yeah. And, and so they want to be the ones whose name will be the, this is the person that, you know, yeah. like, what's right. it in Star Trek? The right. one who invented Warp Drive. Jebediah is something. Uh-huh. Or, I don't know. Some. <laughs> the dilithium crystal,
0: name. what gets me. I mean, the power they pack in that thing. They can yeah. run yeah. Warp
3: speed on that oh, they, shit? But what they don't tell you is they kind of they degrade after uh, a, about a thousand warp cycles. Okay. Turns yeah. out that Mr. Scott died of cancer pretty <laughs> quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I, so I totally get it. But what, as an astrophysicist, um, you know, one of the first things you come to terms with is just the immense scale. Of, of space yeah. and yeah. and the complete scarcity of of the things we care about and as I said <laughs> life on this planet is down to four millimeters thickness uh, and that's very precious yeah. you know you, you really you have to spend some time anybody listening to this who's thinking oh come on you're being too hard on space just spend some time educating yourself on draw scale, diagrams of here's the earth now where do i have to put the moon and how big is that right where's mars going to go uh, and you realize that you can't fit it in your house anymore you have yeah. to you know it's it just yeah. gets really big and then you ask uh let's say that i were out and about in the solar system and i got hungry where would i go to eat well mm-hmm. guess what Eat a burger you come back to earth yeah right you there, there are no cheeseburgers up there
2: the whole moon's made of green cheese right <laughs>
3: <laughs> so it's it's inconceivably harsh Think about it this way: Mount Everest is far, 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 far more hospitable than the surface of Mars. Right? Um, why aren't we living there? The <laughs> ocean floor is far, 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 far more hospitable. There are crabs walking by. Things you can eat. Yeah. Right. But we're not living <laughs> yeah. there.
0: I'd eat a tube worm if I had to, for God's ah, sake. Oh,
3: sure. <laughs> yeah. But you're gonna you're gonna have nothing even close in yeah. space. So it's just. Matt Damon had potatoes. Yeah, you have
1: potatoes you can grow with your own urine. (laughs) It's so (laughs) inconceivably...
3: He didn't look... He lost a lot of weight. I think Tom's right here. (laughs) I think, you know, to to me, I don't want to be too condescending, but you really just have to grow up. Yeah. You just have to get over this. And even if I'm just totally off base and you can have some colony on Mars that's got, I don't know, a thousand or even a hundred (laughs) thousand people, it's like, all right, you haven't done it damn thing right. to solve the problems of how do we live sustainably on earth and respecting our ecosystems and you know if you just look at the decline rate and the deforestation rate we're on this really steep path toward total environmental collapse
1: well we're adding what 85 million new people every year yeah right? it's 85 so, m- yeah that's right so hundred thousand people living on mars that's uh <laughs>
3: It's nothing. I mean, yeah. one way I think about that is is COVID, uh, you know, took out a few million people mm-hmm. and barely yeah, uh, changed the, the needle, needle. On, right. on the sort of 85 million per year that we're adding. So right. if you look at the data, you know, 10 yeah. years from now at population, you're not going to see the pandemic. Right. So it's, and that's a big deal to us. That's, yeah, that was a big deal.
0: And I think about like, we're, you know, we're obviously... Normalizing all this death, but also mourning at the same time, and then I think about how many other creatures we actually kill and never even ponder. So mm-hmm. when I hear stats about like the the born the rainforest in Borneo, you know, or Amazon and or coral reefs going out, and are, it just you know just you know the, the fires in Australia or the heat wave in the yeah. Pacific Northwest, and you just they start getting these like these they're these back of the envelope calculations of, of the loss yeah. the loss of life. Yeah. It's just that's heartbreaking to me and. Part of the way I the way I connect to that is that I'm living out in the country now, and I've only been out here four and a half years. I was managing farmland for a while, you know, so I would get out and about. But living out here, I've only been living out of like a, a an urban or suburban environment for four and a half years of my life. I traveled a lot, you know, and went to wilderness areas all over the world. But it is quite interesting to, to, to be present, to see the life cycle of things and the seasonal change, and also to see, though, how when you – change the environment how things show up. So like we put in a water feature, we put all these native native shrubs and and prairie species and suddenly you walk around and all these mostly insects are and but the bird life, things are showing up like you wouldn't believe. So I just think there is so much good we can do like you're saying. You know, it it, it you can take care of a place and make a tremendous difference in the life of all of all these other species that we share the world with in a relatively short period of time. And I would just like to have more people empowered to do that. And you see you see movements. Like I go downtown and I go into the, you know, the city and I walk around and see people guarding with in ways that are just tremendous for just attracting creatures, right? And that seems to be taking off more and more. Yeah. So I think there is an awareness and a care. It's just not scaling to what we need. And at the same time, you have individuals really working hard. You've got this machine still, ch- you know, the industrial machine just still churning through nature on our behalf, so to speak, right?
3: Yeah, and trying to form it in our image in a way, and and trying to dictate to nature, here's what you're going to do for us. Whereas what you're describing is more taking cues from local, uh, you know, the local habitat and saying what can what can we do to help you? Yeah, and not not trying to transform the landscape into your own mental picture that's going to be deeply flawed yeah. about what what's sustainable.
1: It, I'm I'm going to sound suspiciously positive for a moment. Jeez. Just thinking about what you'd said about your students. So, so you've been you've been teaching about energy now for for more than a decade, right? Yeah, and, 18 years. And you've seen I'm um, I'm um, speaking for you here tell me if i'm wrong but you've seen students coming in further along in terms of their recognition or what they're open to you know so you said that they're already sort of there they're certainly there with the climate crisis awareness and and they're also with this sort of questioning of the growth paradigm right so maybe there is there's an exponentially growing awareness in in questioning of the kind of the the dominant paradigm of thinking, it's still small. So you talked about how like with your colleagues, you might still be viewed as an outlier. At some point, though, maybe it will tip and it will feel like a tip, but it will have just been built on a lot of people. And, And it would be amazing if at some point we had this flip where people were lauded and celebrated for recognizing limits and then doing incredible things within the context of limits. Cause there's so much creativity mm-hmm. that we could harness and ingenuity, human ingenuity. If we said, how can we do the most with these limited resources that we have in balance with nature?
0: Yeah. I mean, what if that was the goal, like the, yeah. the society, the culture, the civilization that lasts for thousands and tens of thousands of years. And we set that as a goal we agreed on. Right. And you know, I think that's a brilliant question. And, um, well, right, and now we have planned obsolescence instead right now. So well, you exactly gotta do opposite. the opposite.
3: Do the opposite. And you know, to that point, I think, you know, that's a really fascinating thing. More I, I think it's possible that you will hit this tipping point. A number of my colleagues I've talked to recently, not necessarily in my department, but other people who I've had conversations with over the years and they would sort of come out with this statement about how growth is and not that we were talking about it, mm-hmm. they, they would just kind of uh, uh, tip their hat or not to not tip, tip their hand. What, what's the word for that? Show their hand mm-hmm. that they think that, um, you know, growth, growth is not something that we can sustain. And it sort of floored me. Where did that come from? Mm-hmm. So there is this growing consciousness Yeah. when I guess, uh, Robbie, you're talking about your favorite blog post, One that gets still a lot of attention is this uh, conversation I had with an economist over mm-hmm. dinner oh sort of a neoclassical economist, and I kind of walked him through why economic growth can't last forever. and it was a, kind of a, a tough pull, but eventually uh, made a lot of progress with him. But the one thing that really I think kind of caught his attention, and I mean he did really stare off into the distance. Uh, as, as I said, the person who comes up with a real good model for a steady state economy that can transform the way we do things, that's the one who will be remembered for a very long time, not, mm-hmm. the, not the economists during this short transitory yeah. phase. And it's true, if we do have 10,000 years, yeah. the people who helped design that and, and were the original thinkers about that certainly will have uh, a much like longer pull on history. And, you know, it's going to be that the, the neoclassical guys are going to be uh, yeah. vilified well, in, in all the textbooks. No
2: yeah. doubt that Herman Daly is in my pantheon of, of uh, most influential academics. And Tom, you are quickly joining that pantheon as well. I really appreciate the work that, that you've done. You've uh, been flexible in your career and really addressed uh what i see as the most important topics so and i want to make sure that we plug your book again because like you said a share it's yeah. really an important piece of work it's called energy and human ambitions on a finite planet you released it for free people can uh, just get
3: this online and, that's the and,
0: electronic and, version yeah 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 and you can um, order a you can also
3: order a uh, paper copy right right at cost nobody makes any money on this yeah. Because why should they? Mm-hmm. Right,
2: and and the Do the Math blog, as we said, is is amazing. We repost all of your essays on resilience. org. Um, you know, you could read that from start to finish, and and uh, you know, you, you you would have a lot more knowledge than uh, pretty much everyone else out there. So uh, yeah,
1: and thanks for visiting us here. Yes, this is a well, huge uh,
0: summer treat. We're glad glad to have you here in the studio. And the first time we've been back in the studio for over a year, probably. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. That's our show. Thanks for joining us in Crazy Town. This is a program of Post Carbon Institute. Get more info at postcarbon.org.